0: I've called it reflecting on relationships and and if you want to turn with me and follow along in your Bible it starts in chapter 3 verse 18 but here's the thing as we settle in to the word of God this morning We've been talking and about life on earth, and it's so important that you see as we read the text of Scripture that these verses that we talk about and these pieces that we take, they're connected, right? It's like context is so key to everything we do in the Bible, because we're so prone to take little pieces of the Bible and twist them out of context. And you can take a phrase, you can take a single verse and not understand. So I just want to make sure we as a body, as we go into this amazing text this morning, which is which is about how you're supposed to be as a wife and a husband and a dad and a kid and these these family relationships, that you realize what we've been doing. We we spent two weeks on it. We say, what's changed? Because this passage is based at the beginning of chapter 3. It covers it all, the structure of it, the way it goes, where Paul says, hey, realize you died and your life is hid in Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears, you'll appear with him in glory. So everything he's going to talk about is from the position of something's changed in you and me. And it's our hope has changed. I no longer am going to present to God when I get to heaven a nice basket of good things so he'll approve of me and I'll get in. I already am in. I have a new family. God is my father. He's my dad. Jesus Christ died for me. That's done. Why? Because by faith, as we read in John this morning, everyone who believes in me will have Eternal life. I'm said. So the issue becomes, how do I live out this life now? What about while I'm waiting for Jesus to come? What am I doing? And so we, we looked at how in the first two weeks ago, we looked at, hey, the, one of the ways that you do that is you don't live for self-gratification anymore. You don't want to like go after building up yourself and being self-oriented and, and you don't want to tear down other people. Why tear down other people who Jesus died for? And then last week we looked at the beauty of this, that compassion, mercy, and patience, and humility, and gentleness, and kindness, these, these characteristics are not things we're, we're working on so much as they are, hey, what a beautiful picture it is, that we can be this way because of the gospel. Beautiful. And then without stopping, Paul goes into what we're talking about this morning. I mean, we, we came out of we forgive because we've forgiven more than we can imagine. We have peace because Jesus has, has given us peace and made peace with us, with God and people. We remind each other all the time of the word of Christ. That's the amazing good news and what it means for our lives. And, and, and we're different, you see. You and I, we're different. Not because we strive for world peace, but because of what has changed in our hearts. We have this new hope. Jesus alone. Okay, when we fail, we know we're not. It's not the ground of our hope. How we do it doesn't rock us. We can be transparent about failure, and all of this is wonderful. But, but, but there's still a lot of life then that we got to think about. One of those areas is is our central relationships. Christians get this generally. We know how important the family is. So it's good for us to hear this morning. And I'm just going to read. I'm going to read the whole paragraph, and then we're going to take it line by line. So I'm not even going to put it on the board first. I just want you to hear it. Ephesians 3.18 Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's the household code, and there it is. There Paul lays it out for us, and he he gives it to us and says these are things to do. It's remarkable for a couple of reasons, though, that maybe you don't often think about. This is the only instruction he gives. Isn't it kind of remarkable that it's so short? I'm a pastor. You know how much of my shelf? It's taken up by parenting books. It's a big shelf. Marriage books, we go to conferences, we think on what to do, all these things we're going to do. And here Paul says, okay, this is it, here's his pen, he's getting it out, and he's writing down the things we're supposed to do, and, and the things we're supposed to do in relationships, and he gives a one-liner for, for wives. He gives a one-liner for husbands. He gives a one-liner for kids. He gives a one-liner for parents. And He's done. My heart goes. Paul, wait, come back. I need to talk to you some more about what you because I need to know how do I do this parenting thing. And if you're a parent at all, you know, wait a minute, it's overwhelming. How do I do it? I want the nitty gritty. Instead, I get a one word command. Why? It's worthy of your thought because you know they're they're making many books. There's no end. Some people make all these things on how we're to do all these things. None of it's the Bible. I want the Bible. I want to know what God says for my kids and what, what he wants for my kids to do. I want to know what I'm supposed to do as a dad. I want to know what I'm supposed to do as a husband. I want all my relationships to be set out and in order. And, and so that we come to the Bible to find that out, and, and this is where I find it out. It's right here in, in passages like this. Many There's there's not a lot more. <laughs> there's a little bit. We'll take a look. But as we go into it, I, you got to see, this is very important for us, What? why do you think that is, that it's so short? Especially given the fact that you and I most of our lives have heard probably a hundred sermons on parenting or on marriage or on how to be a good spouse or on how to do it right. And and it's it's trying to take this one word and sprinkle it out. Why is that? I suggest it's this. The context is such it's not your emphasis. This is something for you to do. There's, this is a command, and we will do it, and we will talk about how to do it. But let me tell you, the focus of Paul is that you are a new creation in Christ. Out of that comes these simple things that you should work on. I should long for gentleness and compassion and kindness and humility. That's clearly linked to the gospel. I want to show you this morning that Paul's heart is your role in your relationships is clearly linked to the gospel, how you think about them now. But it's not, oh, you know what, you, this is the end result for you, is that you work on these things, and, and you got to make sure that you get all of these things right. And so I'm going to give you 15, a list of 15, not 15, 115 things. you got to make sure you do, so that at the end of the day, you can say, you accomplished parenting. Uh, That's not the text. I want you to get the text. After you get the text, you can apply it in a thousand different ways. There's all sorts of different ways we're going to look at, but you've got to see the flow first, you've got to get the heart first and you've got to see what's actually going on in the Bible. It's interesting to me that these are the household code, but it's only a couple of relationships. Where's the, where's the one for single people? Where's the Christian vocation for missionaries? Where's the rank of things? See, he's assuming. There's an assumption in this text, I think. And again, I'm, I'm challenging you from the Bible. There's an assumption that most of us will live daily lives. Most of us will not be overseas. Most of us will not be saying, what can I give up and not do so that I can so that I can um, live better for Christ? Like somehow it's living better for Christ to not be in these relationships or to be in different ones. These are the basic ones. Now, not everybody is married, and, 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 and I get that, but these are general relationships that are happening all the time around us. There's marital relationships, there's, there's, parent, there's parental and, and children relationships, and there's work relationships, and you're covering kind of basically life. You're not covering, let's get out of those things so we can go serve Jesus. You're saying, in the midst of your daily life, look, you are serving Jesus. How? Something's changed. Your heart's changed. Your heart's changed because you have a new hope. Okay, so that's just going in, and, and that's just to spark your interest a little bit as we go into, hey, these are things that have been elevated so high and so deeply driven into, I want to back up and make sure we see the main point of the scriptures in this. Let's take them one at a time and take a look. at. It's, it's interesting and good stuff for us to consider. The first is wives and husbands. So he starts there in verse 18. And again, this might not be you, but I hope as you see this, even if you're not a wife or a husband right now, you can see the connection to the gospel. What Paul is longing for this picture to be. That's what I I want you to see. Let's take a, a closer look. Okay, so wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Boom, done. I mean, it's balanced. It's nice. The the wives and the husbands each get one command. But this wives submitting to your husbands, there's been much written on this. It's easy to find lots of literature on what this submission is, especially in our culture that doesn't like submission. This is the same word he uses in Ephesians, first of each other, and then particularly in this role. And what I'd like you to see is about the role. This is something that's special. So submission in this air literally means arrange things underneath. Arrange your life under. Hupotasso is the word. You could see, right, that has overtones of respect, of being under authority. And so the command that Paul gives is, wives, be, be underneath. Ranging yourself under, respecting, honoring your husband. Okay, there's many reasons why in the culture he was in why this would happen. And they're mostly related to power. Men fight battles. Men are generally, it's not always true, but generally stronger. There's authority and power and strength. You might get beaten if you don't obey. That's not the Bible, is it? Not even at all. Countercultural, this stuff. And it's not about fear and power and control. You could even say, some do, you have to do this because otherwise God's mad at you. Keep God and your husband happy by being quiet and submissive. That that's, that's, that isn't why wives, why you, if you're a wife today, why you get to be a helper. Arranged under your husband instead of exerting your authority. That's not what the Bible is is presenting. It's because, in the language they're right in verse 18, it is fitting in the Lord. There's a fittingness to this. This is fitting means that it, it's it, it's right, it flows rightly, it's pleasing. This is this is not, I don't believe, an appeal to creation. But Colossians, he's, he's connecting to the beginning of chapter 3. What's changed in you? Remember, everything about you is that you died. There's no more growing you. Your life is hid in Christ. Our hope is that when Jesus appears, we'll all, all of us, all the same. There's no Greek or Jew. There's no male or female. We'll be with him. He will resurrect us. Oh, it's a good thing. And because of that, hey, it's not just that our lives aren't now lines of lives of self-gain, not lives of increasing self-empowerment. They're lives that are response to the wonder of what's been done for us, and what's been done for us is everything. And so in this marriage relationship, and we see it all the time, whether you're a married person and you're experiencing it, or you're outside and you're watching it. Marriage is a picture, you know. The Bible's really strong on this. It's an amazing picture that you get to see in daily living, in your own life and the lives of others around you. You get to see what what people have entered into, this incredible picture. At the same time that Paul wrote Colossians, he wrote Ephesians. and, And he's a little bit longer in Ephesians, so let me pull it out so you see it. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, he says the same thing. Wives, submit to your own husbands, he says there, as to the Lord. Then he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. What is he doing? He's not saying because of creation order, you need to do this. He's saying because of Jesus. Because of Jesus and the church. I'll tell you what the most amazing thing in my whole world is, is that Jesus Christ died for me. And I, as a saved person, I can't believe I've been saved by Jesus. He he loves me. What do I want to do? I want to show that relationship to the world. I want everybody to know how cool Jesus is. So Paul is going through, and he's showing you how you do this. And wives, you get a special role to show the beauty of Jesus being our head. You get to do that in your marriage. It's a picture. It's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians. He even goes on at the end, right? He says it this way, at the end of that passage in Ephesians. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. He's talking about the amazing mystery of marriage. This mystery is profound, he says. I don't even know what's going on. You can't even do the depths of what goes on when God unites a, a man and his wife and they're together and they're one flesh, whatever that is, Paul says. I can't even tell you. It's a profound mystery. Oh, oh, but, but I'm saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. I get people a lot saying, well, I want to do something for the Lord. I want to do something great for Jesus. I, I want to go out and do it. I say, here, here it is. Are you married? If you're a wife, the most beautiful picture you ever have in your whole life, pointing to Jesus, is being under your husband. That's what he's saying. This submission that you get to do, like like wanting to show forever that it's all what Jesus has done, that that it's it's Christ who is elevated, and you sit under your husband, you respect and you honor and you you put under your authority because that's this beautiful picture of us being under the authority of Christ. Why <laughs> so you get to do that? Fantastic. The whole ground for this, how fitting it is for. Wives to submit is that it's a picture of the church to Christ and we trust Jesus for everything. It's Jesus, not your husband, by the way, so you trust for everything. But this picture you get to live out. Man, there are challenges in that, aren't there? I'm not a wife, I'm a husband. I feel bad for my wife. Why? Because your husband isn't Christ. If it's a picture of Jesus in the church, this this marriage thing that we do, there's this really important piece that's missing. Your husband, if you're a wife, is not Jesus. (laughs) That's a bummer. Instead of being perfect Jesus, who is perfect in all his ways, and is loving in all his ways, and sacrificial in all his ways, the marriage you have is to a man who's not. If I could speak to wives... This is the problem is that, that, that the husband is fallen and a sinner in so many ways. You can't even list him out. He, He may not meet your needs. He may not do what you do in any given situation. You may do something different that you know is better. You know it. And yet you've entered into this picture. It's an image of what's fitting and right and true, which is Jesus who is over the church. And if, if you get by your actions in your life, you get to reflect this. How amazing for you. By your choice, not forced on you, but because you died and your hope is in Christ. So it's not someone, it's not saying, why husbands, make sure your wives submit. no. No, this is a word to wives, and it's a word about how it is that you can show that, that you died and your only hope is in Christ. Hugely hard. Hugely cool. That's what he's doing after. It's amazing. And this is what Paul wants you and everyone around you to, to see, that the gospel informs how you see yourself in your relationships and wives in your marriages. That, that this is it. So wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And by the way, that's all. There's no like long list of exactly how that works out because it'll work out in different ways. It'll be seen in different ways. But, but it's a short, simple, and like everything else he's talking about here in Colossians, it's just be this way. Because of this amazing change in your hope, kindness. Because of this incredible Fantastic change. Humility. And in the relational area, submission, respect, honor. Because of Christ. Okay, so and for the husband, to to look at the husband for a minute, so there's the wife's picture. Here's the husband's picture. Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Well, no duh. I love my wife. It rolls off the tongue. We talk about love all the time, but that's not exactly what's meant here, huh? Our conception of love or our conception. you got husbands, you got to have warm fuzzies for your wife. Like somehow Jesus is giving me flowers. That's not what it means, right? This is love like God is love. Like Jesus loves you. Like amazing love. We're entering into this beautiful picture and wives are entering this beautiful picture of, of the church submitting to Jesus and they're, they're, they're choosing, and this is a wonderful way we get to show the gospel as we, we choose to go into this. And then husbands get to be the people, love their wives. Cherish, adore, soft-hearted, all the way down to laying down your life like Jesus did. This is directly related to the gospel, right? It's not based on her weight or her age what she looks like it's not based on how kind she is to you it's not based on how well submitted she is to you boy think about Jesus in the church and how poorly we submit to Christ and think about how he adores us every minute while we were yet sinners Christ went and died for us So, so, so these commands it's It's radical stuff. They seem to just reinforce morality, but they're actually radical in their connection to the gospel and therefore to the work that we're actually doing on earth. This is one of the main ones if you're married. You get to show this picture of the truth you believe. It's way harder than you think. So two parts there for the husbands. One is is love your wives, but the other is, and don't be harsh with them, and that's they're connected in some ways, the word there literally means don't embitter them, don't make them bitter. Why would he say that? Because it's a new authority, right? In many of the cultural systems, including the system Paul was in, and it goes down to our day, there, there's a power structures. These are we're talking about power structures. Whenever somebody has power, what, what happens? Power corrupts? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It twists us, you know. It twists on both ends. The people are under it and the people are over it. And you, you see the dynamic and it starts to influence how you think of the other person and what you do and, and, and all of these things. And, and this this piece he's going after says, the wife doesn't have power, it's choosing not to. In certain ways... The Gospel changes that it says don't be harsh literally don't bitter don't make them bitter that would be exercising authority in ways that aren't loving that aren't with her in mind it's not not it's things like this you you don't receive her love for you you get cold and hard you're imposing your stuff on her all the time and somehow that there's a the like like i'm the guy it's, i I remember my whole life my brother when I was Oh, he's probably 11, 12. I usually was the babysitter because I was the oldest, but on that particular occasion, my parents, finally he appealed every time. He's one year a little less than one year younger than I was. Dax always gets to be the babysitter. He always gets to be the one in charge. So my parents said, okay, well, for this time, you're in charge. So my brother immediately, as soon as they left, turned. It was his shot. You will not call me Chad. His name was Chad. He's okay that I tell this story. I've told it before. His middle name is Alexander. You will call me Alexander the Great. (laughs) I was like, I'm not calling you Alexander the Great. No way. He said, then you will go to your room right now. I'm not going to my room. Hey, I've got the authority. Submit. I went to my room. I read a book. But it was that kind of thing, right? And that's where we go. We go into these things where, where, where. Hey, it's my chance. Pa- I get power. I'm gonna cont- I get to. Brr, I get to my way. Finally, I get my way. What uh, would you think I'd like that? If that was the paradigm I lived under, eventually I'm angry at my brother and bitter at him because he's being unreasonable, harsh, and about himself. So that's where he's going after. He said, the gospel changes that for me. It changes me into someone who says, I've died. I don't, I don't have to build me up. I get to lay down my life in a way that this is the picture of my life. You say, man, I want to do something great for God. Okay, husband, love your wife. Why? Because of the gospel. Guess what kind of picture it's going to be that you cherish and adore in ways that are seen even. Because people see it. Number one thing kids see, right? How mom and dad are that you get these pictures and you get to see that it's actually you're you're imaging this for single people you're you're imaging this for other people you're you're imaging this not not as a purpose of doing it but this is this is a witness all the time that you're this way so so these are short and pithy and they're not detailed and you i again my heart always is to get super detailed how do i do this and there's 14 ways and 13 steps and those things he's particularly not doing that because he wants you to see the Central picture in the heart. Wives submit because this is fitting of this amazing relationship that the church is in with Jesus and how you get to display it. Husbands love and don't be harsh or embittering and that's, that's because of the wonder of how, how you, how Jesus has laid his life down for us and you get to lay your life down for your bride. Oh. I can't wait for Jesus to see him because we're his bride. That's what we're after, right? It's, it's amazing. Statement of fact. He's not into methodology. He's into heart. Methodology may, may vary. Okay. So that's, it's short, but that's what it is. Let's continue on and look at the next relationship in children and parents. And this touches everybody because at least everybody's been a child. Many of us are parents. And Paul has this thing to say. Let me say first the children. Children, obey your parents for this is In everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, so we're shifting, right, from mere relationships to parents and children. Everybody's been a child. Many of us are parents. This is fertile ground. And and again, Paul is super brief, isn't he? Tells you that this emphasis catches how your heart is shaped by the gospel. That's the emphasis, how the heart is shaped by the gospel. How what's changed, which is your new hope, plays out in your relationships, which is as a child. And, and so his first look here, the it, word there is little children, so it's not really talking to adult children. It's talking to people who are in the home, as kids who are in the home. And, and again, as all of these, it's addressed to the group. It's not addressed to parents, make sure that you make your children do this. It's addressed to kids, hey, let me talk to you about the gospel for a minute. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Obey. That's the command. It literally means to listen under. It's a little different word than he used for the wife. It's going to be the same word he uses for the worker. And it means to really listen to, to listen to and do. There's a hearing. There's a listening to it. Kids, hear your parents. Don't go away from them. Be under them. Not in some things, but in everything. I'm a little sorry this isn't directed to me because I would love to be the enforcer of this. Ken, you're going to listen to me. Why? Because of this verse. That's that's not the flow, right? It's after this. It's after why would you obey parents who are as fallen as you are? Right? Why would you obey parents who express their desires in frustrated ways, who don't act as logically or as lovingly as you would want? And, and the, the response is there because this pleases the Lord or this is pleasing to the Lord. This is, the idea here is a lot like the role that was given to, to, to wives in this image. It's fitting. It's pleasing in a rightness way. It's not like, like, like this either or thing like we sometimes do in a command. Like, oh well, if you do this, God's happy. If you don't do this, God's sad. It's, it's not that. It's, this is the flow. This is fitting, pleasing, right. Why? Why is it fitting and pleasing and right? Well, it doesn't take much, does it, to think through, given what he's, in the context he's in, that we died and our life is hidden Christ. We've got a father, a real father. And we're now his Family. Why am I as family? Because of what Jesus has done. So now I am as a son or daughter of God in the family of God with my dad who loves me adoringly. What do I want to do? I want to hear him. I want to obey him. You realize you're doing the same thing. It's a picture in your life as you as a kid in everything you obey your parents. Not because they're particularly reasonable. Not because they're doing the best thing that you think they should do in order to raise you as a child and they're developing you rightly and they're they're keeping you from iPhones, not because of that, but because of the picture that you get to portray of the wonder of the gospel because you're in a family. That's the gospel, right? Jesus, the firstborn of the Father, obeyed unto death, even death on the cross. And it goes well with you if you get Christ. And receiving Christ is receiving the gift of family. Father over the Son, not in value or power or strength and wisdom. The the Father's not stronger than the Son or more important than the Son or or better than the Son. They're, They're the same, right? But the picture there is that the Son was under the Father in everything, even to die. That's the picture we have of the gospel. It goes well with you if you get Christ. Receiving Christ is receiving this gift. So kids, in all things, not picking and choosing based on how wise it seems to you. Really, that's the problem of the garden, and it infects us early, that we, we, have, a, we have a fine-tuned thing of the knowledge of good and evil, and so we want to pick out how well people are doing in anything. The fairness doctrine, particularly oriented on me, The grounding of this command is that you have Christ. He's done everything for you. And even if parents seem to be overly harsh or having you do things that other families don't or those things that you're going to hear and listen and be under their care because you're totally radically taken care of by Jesus. In order to do this, you see that it's going to be impossible not to make you into some form of behavioral obedience. We can do that with a person who doesn't know Jesus. Schools do this all the time. We do this all the time, is that we have our kids obey at home, but they don't know Jesus. We're talking about something really important and cool that that may look a little the same, but it's totally different. It's this idea that we're imaging the wonder of what the gospel is. Kids, you get to do that. I think what gets in the way of this is our earthly fathers aren't much like our heavenly ones. So he says this, he says, fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. (laughs) Okay, now I'm getting into a little more personal experience because I'm a dad. And when I first meditated, prayed, thought on this with you. What in the world? Come on. I want to know how to parent. Don't provoke my kids. That's like a tiny little thing. I mean, I want to know what I do. I want to know how I do this thing. This is like, okay, should I let them stay up late? When do I when do I start um how late can they stay up when they're young and then when do I start letting them have more time and how much family devotions or not and 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 boy, around the dinner table what are some things I should do and and then, but should we have a dog or not? Is that a good thing to have a pet? Um, how do I shape my kids and make it so they're successful in the world? What what do I do to help their schooling and all the stuff they're supposed to do? And uh, if I sound like I've diarrhea of the mouth, it's cuz I do. There's so many things I want to know. Paul, tell me how to be a dad. Fathers, don't provoke your kids. What? (laughs) It's remarkable that this is the line. The only line that parents get. I think fathers, it's fathers and mothers, especially in our context. It's really important. It should give you pause, parent. I think the word Paul would have been something like, fathers, make sure your kids know the Bible. He's going to give him one line. But there's no evidence that the church at Colossae got to hear the letter from Ephesians. Honestly. Something like Ephesians would want to expect, grow them up in the discipline and exhortation of the Lord. And, but even here, he follows up with this idea, the one here, the idea that's emphasized, it's amazing, that provoke, to provoke means to make rise to a challenge like pushing and pushing and pushing. And fathers, I I want to reflect the wisdom and righteousness of the father to my kids, and so I see them, and I see their behavior, and it's not what it should be. And so my, my, my tendency is to push them and push them into where they're supposed to be, and they don't go there very well, so I push them again, and I push them again, and pretty soon I'm just hitting them, sometimes in frustration. I'm challenging them. When I see a flaw, and I start to push, and I want them to get better, I want them to improve, and, and, and that, Paul says, can lead to discouragement. Because they are failures, and you cannot, by pushing, get a unflawed character. You can't get a character flaw out. You can point it out. You can walk through it with them. You can help, surely. But we're hypocrites at heart, many of us, and we have such failings. And then what we, what we do with our kids is say, I don't want my kids to have the failings I had, so I'm going to push to make sure they don't. And, and all I'm doing is actually going against the gospel. The gospel is that God loved me when I'm a failure. He loved me when I was a sinner. I want to make it so my kids don't need God's forgiveness. I want to make it so my kids have everything perfect in a row. They have all the pieces that I think they should have. So God says, good kid. But what is good kid? Good kid is broken kid who knows Jesus. I miss it. I miss it as a dad. I'm not talking about adult children. I'm talking about by the time they're eight or nine, they get to see that I'm a hypocrite in my own home because I'm telling them to be better than me, and I'm not better (laughs) So the Gospel's true. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I continue to deal with sin after conversion. My kids are the same way they know christ, but i'm I'm holding them to a standard. If it's a standard i don't keep it's damning it's provoking it's discouraging. Instead, I get to be transparent. I'm not gonna tell them I sin, but you can't. You need to be better than you are. Better, better, better. You know, eventually they're gonna break. That's what discouragement is. The, the worst discouragement is around how they think of their heavenly father. They're gonna go through life, and some of you are this way. You had such fathers who pushed on you and pushed on you that you think that's the heavenly father doing that. <laughs> Don't take in such discouragement. Your father loves you and you're a sinner. You're pushing them sometimes. I see this in myself. My pushing them is the opposite of what God does. He forgives, and that's what echoes in their life, is your ability to continue to think on the gospel, what it means and play it out. It means transparency and forgiveness. It means walking in compassion and mercy towards your kid. It's more important than the method or even the content of your parenting. You don't have to believe me. But you want it. I want to show this short video. We're almost done, but we're not going to get to work relationships, so it's okay. But I want to show you this little video. If you dim the lights and, and get ready, we, it's just two minutes long. But, you know, Billy Graham died last night. Not last night, two, 10 days ago. And this last week was his funeral. And I, I just, I want you to see the heart of what, what one of the daughters got up. Maybe you've seen this. Her name is Ruth Graham. It's one of his daughters. She got up and shared what she, the one thing she was going to share about her dad. And I thought it was helpful in this context. So d- watch it with me and then, and then talk about it for a minute. And that will be done. Here it is.
1: And I have learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story. And even this week, President Trump told us about his Billy Graham story. As a little boy, his father took him to Yankee Stadium to hear my father preach. And he said, this is a big deal. <laughs> little did they know that their paths would cross many, many years later. But I have my own Billy Graham story, so I'm going to tell you that one. And I've told it many times, and some of you have maybe heard it many times. But it bears repeating because to me it speaks to the essence of who my father was and is. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it'd be a good idea for me to move away to get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they were almost grown. They didn't know what they could they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We are tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. (laughs) And many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God. But he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain and our hurt. God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. Thank you, and God bless you.
0: It's amazing to me that that's what her memory is of her father, the greatest evangelist that the American culture has known in many, many years. Do you see how cool it is that your dad, it's it's your... It's your dad's heart that you're showing. And it's a dad who in Luke 15 allows his son to say, I wish you were dead and go. And and when his son comes back, this younger son, he's running out to grab him and to show him what an amazing love he has. That's not affirming sin. That's not enabling unrighteousness. It's not any of those things. They have their own command to obey you and are before God. But the reality of what you show as a father, that's what Paul's after, I think. He's saying, hey, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't don't be the one who's poking them away. Be the one that is home. Remarkable stuff. Okay, we gotta wait on the slaves and the the masters next time and these work relationships, and we'll pick it up. But but I, I want you to to see this. The Bible says this in 1 John. It says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And as we think about the relationships we have with one another, the gospel as it shows, where we're, we're all saved by grace, it takes away fear. So the reality here in these just very short commands And wives, submit to your husbands, and the fear comes in because maybe your husbands are harsh, or maybe you're not doing it as well as you think God would like you to. Husbands, love your wives, and there's fear because I know how poorly I love. Children, obey your parents. Well, there's fear there. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't fathers don't provoke and I I fear because man I'm I'm afraid of the wrong step where if I take the wrong step and I provoke my child I've ruined them forever there's no fear in love here we are we're we're driving often in the same commands that you heard this morning not by gospel but by fear and I call you out of that if that's where you are I call you back to the context of what we're talking about in these commands they are commands for you and I in light of the gospel There are things that are driven by hearts that say, I get to show this, and and my heart is to show it. My heart isn't to accomplish that, because often and even always, I might say, you don't accomplish the actuality of obey your children in everything. I didn't do that when I was a kid. Not if you add the word everything. Husbands, I mean, wives submit to your husband in everything. I don't even have to say more. It it hits us. And so there's this essential rest that you and I have that we're coming out of. We've been taken care of. We've been loved. It's okay. We're loved by the king. And what we're trying to do is to show this the best that we can because it reflects the gospel, not because it's the end goal of our existence on earth. It's not. I'm already a son. I'm already in the family. I hope to show that. So this... (sighs) Radical change that's already happened is why we're doing these things. And the world might echo these things in wisdom because it's wise that society is set this way. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because of the gospel. Daily, normal living. It's normal for you and for me. And it's radical. I'll call you to it and we'll talk more about in society with relationships next week. But in families, how wonderful. The gospel comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these short commands. Thank you for the context of Colossians. Thank you for the depth, even of these one-word imperatives, Lord, that reveal my failure and yet my desire to show the wonder of how I've been saved. And Lord, I pray that in our body, in this church that you've made, Lord, that you would help us to be transparent, help us to be those who help each other, Shine forth the wonder of the salvation that you've given us. Help us to do it in our marriages. Help us to do it in our parental and our child relationships, Lord. Lord, in everything that you might be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.